What's up, everybody? Welcome to Generation Bitcoin. I'm here today with Jeff Hancock. How are you doing today, Jeff? Uh, great, Matt. Thanks for including us. It's a little bit early here in the UK. Should have checked that time zone before we got this organized, but it's uh, no, really great to be in the show and uh, can't wait to talk about Bitcoin with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Just as a little backstory, uh, you're the co-founder and CEO of CoinPass, uh, as well as the CEO and founder of JHP Invest Limited. Uh, so if you can go a little bit more into your backstory, um, how did you find about find out about Bitcoin and why did it appeal to you? Sure. Um, so I got kind of miniature introduced into Bitcoin way back in like 2013. Um, my background has always been in cybersecurity and tech um, back in Australia. Uh, I looked after hotels and casinos, uh, not the little, little mini slot machines, but, um, you know, something like a Vegas sized casino. And um, that's where I kind of did my you know, cut, cut my teeth on, on tech and security and, and kind of big infrastructure. Moved to the UK, did a lot of stuff in data centers, hedge funds, etc. And uh, when I was working at a managed service provider, uh, they came along and they'd been uh, ransomware. Unfortunately, this is back still in the Silk Road days of uh, of crypto, and uh, they had a ransom to pay, um, and I uh, basically learned how to uh, source, sell, buy, and do the wallets for Bitcoin in about three days. So we had a very you know, big crash course in doing it, um, and at the end of it, we got the the encryption key for the um, for the client. Uh, they were all sorted out. They were all happy. Uh, and in the process, we had some Bitcoin left over. Um, back, you know, I kind of basically put it aside and didn't do anything with it for, for quite some time, up until about 2016, when everything kind of got interesting again. And we uh, dug out the emails. It was like, do we still have that 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 wallet code? And unfortunately, we didn't. And that was somewhere somewhere between 60 and 70 Bitcoin gone forever. So it's a bit oh, of a, no. a salt in the wound trial by fire. Um, but I think when we started to get really back into it again, I started investing in, in the property business, which is JHP Invest, my, my property company, um, and getting into consulting and some other sorts of investing um, and realizing the, the antiquated problems with some of the banking system, uh, you know, fiat the way that you know, there's a lot of government control around it there's a lot of bureaucracy around it and then there's this thing called bitcoin where you can literally move wealth anywhere in the world you know in in just a few minutes for a matter of sense uh and not just as an investing tool i've used it for payments uh, i've used it to move my, my own wealth back and forth from australia several times purely because barclays and um uh some of the fx providers were just not doing a good enough job so you know i've had a not not as long as history as some other people um, but I definitely think it's one of those tools that definitely captivated me from a, a tech perspective really, really early on. Cool. So as soon as you kind of heard about it, you looked into it and did you, were you instantly captivated and in, in the potential of what this, what this could do for society? Well, it was, I think by the time I got really interested in it, I tried a bunch of different things. So I'd done a little bit of investing. I tried to do a bit of trading. I'd started my first and second business. And I think by the time it really clicked, I had experienced a lot of those inefficiencies. So, you know, dealing with banking, dealing with mortgages, you know, begging HSBC yeah. here in the UK to give me a bank account for my property business. Like, why do you need one? It's like, well, because I have to collect rent from somewhere and I don't want it in my own name for tax purposes. And they sort of like didn't get it. And the more I dug into it from a, you know, an investment perspective, a liquidity perspective, then also the technical side, there was kind of always something else to learn. And this is, you know, from 2017 to now, and the market's grown, you know, a hundred times since then. 
um, I'm still always learning something new, whether it's on you know, Bitcoin specifically or some of the other altcoins as well. Being an exchange, we have to be a little bit more agnostic, but you know, Bitcoin is still the OG. It's still the brand, um, and it's obviously the most secure and the most decentralized one out there. So it will be pretty much unbeaten, uh, I think, in our lifetimes anyway. Yep, I uh, definitely agree with you on that. So um, why did you decide to start uh, CoinPass and uh, what are your goals with, with CoinPass? Yeah, really, really cool. So it was around that kind of 2017 time. Um, I was consulting for a very large hedge fund here in, uh, in London called SoftBank, uh, the Vision Fund, and they buy into like Uber and WeWork, that kind of stuff. And I was like their 11th employee. You know, there was like no one in this big, huge office in the middle of Mayfair. And they had a hundred billion pounds to spend. And it was just absolute madness. Like we were in and out every other day. There was about 10 staff starting every single week. I was given literally a blank check to retrofit and upgrade all of their cybersecurity tech. And then about halfway through my contract, they go, can you expand this to California, Japan and four other offices? I'm like, why not? And it was just this thought of they do things, you know, big. You know, there was no small deals. There was no small things. And at the same time, you know, I was trying to upgrade my portfolio. I was trying to get more into crypto. I was trying to accumulate whatever I could um, in tax efficient ways as well, which are really interesting. And then when a few of my colleagues and now my co-founders came to me and said, you know, we want to take a big position in Bitcoin. How do we do that in pound sterling? And, you know, Coinbase had been around in the UK since about 2015, 2016, but they'd, had, they'd turned off and on their banks so many times that it was just easier to use US dollars and euro. So that was the answer. You've got to use euro, you've got to use USD. And they didn't want any FX exposure. You know, these are serious guys. And I said, well, you know, I had this entrepreneurial spirit. I was very drunk on the whole, um, you know, the, the experience, my day job that I was doing. And uh, I said, let's start our own one. You know, why not? Let's get a bank account. Let's get some liquidity. Let's do some startup funding of our own, of our own money. And um, yeah, we basically set out to sell one Bitcoin to one person. That was the that was the goal. Uh, we launched in the middle of the bear market, and everyone said, "You guys are absolutely nuts." Um, and it continued to dip, and people continued to buy the dip, you know. And by our fourth month, we were in profit and revenue, which is just unheard of for a fintech startup and unheard of for a crypto startup. And we just kind of scaled it out from there. We had a, a, an insane 2019. Started taking on business accounts. Uh, 2020, when the world caught on fire, we thought we were going to have to contract and we ended up having to expand just to keep up. Uh, and now this year, we're launching our second and third platform and starting to go a bit more global with the brand into, say, um, hopefully Turkey, Asia and, and uh, eventually Australia. And so the goal is to be 100 countries, uh, 100 tradable assets, but do it in a safe, secure and regulated way so people don't have to worry about if their banks are going to be closed down. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, familiar with Coinbase and I know their regular website, coinbase.com, not Coinbase Pro, but their regular Coinbase charges mm. pretty, pretty insane amount of fees. And yeah, I, that's, I their, their to... biggest, that's their biggest earner. You'd think the Pro platform would have way more volume, but they make more money on the .com uh, than the Pro. And I only know this because I've sat across the poker table from their uh, head of liquidity uh, in London. Uh, mm. Bit of a loose player, but yeah, shared probably more information than you should have, but they, uh, it's designed inherently to be nice and easy and nice and quick. Um, and the way that the, the, the fees are scaled is you pay a lot more when you're paying 50 quid opposed to doing say one to 2000. So that's where the fees get a bit cheaper, but the majority of their traffic is in that kind of 50 to 250 quid zone. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, there's uh, the general population isn't buying buying too much uh, too much Bitcoin. They're they're buying in terms of Sats, I, I, I suppose. What makes uh, uh, Coin Pass, I guess, more superior to other exchanges in your opinion, uh, especially like an uh, exchange like Coinbase? Yeah, for sure. So it's a really good question. I think it's something we've, you know, pivoted on several times. Our product has always been, you know, uh, feared on, feared off, and now obviously trading now as well. And trading isn't for everyone. Um, how we try to be different is basically talk directly to our users and see exactly what they want and cater to the people that want to get in and want to get out. But they've they've gone through the hurdles and they've had that pain of, oh, I can only do a thousand at a time. And the reason those compliance levels are there or limits are there is purely risk exposure. It's not because of the bank. It's not because of tax. It's not because of the government. It's purely the exchange doesn't want you taking funds off the platform because it's better for them. So we decided to turn that on its head and kind of go a bit of a YOLO all in and say, well, if our users want to take funds off our platform, that's cool because I don't want to be the one handcuffing people just to use our platform. There are plenty of exchanges out there and there will be plenty more. The market's still very small. But we wanted to do it differently because you can't regulate cryptocurrency as a technology. You can't regulate, you know, Bitcoin as a, you know, even on on a protocol level. But Mm -hmm. the endpoints, you know, the gateways like our like our platforms, that's who will be regulated. So when we set up in you know late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen, the regulation in the UK was this: Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are exactly the same thing. That's it. Through twenty nineteen, they learned about this thing called Ethereum. They go, oh well, there's there's, there's exchange tokens and utility tokens uh, and everything else is a security. And now they're starting to get into stable tokens a little bit. But, you know, back then it was it was zero or nothing. So we took the approach from our COO, uh, who's our co-founder, and he ran a FX uh, mini prime here in London. So we're like, well, let's pretend like we're a mini prime FX broker and just go with that kind of framework because that's the framework they're most likely to adopt. And if we're wrong, then we're about 80% of the way there anyway. So we started off with a, it's not heavy compliance by all means. We're not like asking for people's favorite color and the, you know, the length of their inseam, but we're doing it in a more secure way. So we don't have to impose limits in it in, into anyone. A new client can deposit a hundred grand on our platform uh, on day one. Um, you can, you know, uh, liquidate and get off 500 ETH back to your bank account in about two hours. So we wanted to take the approach of getting off and getting into the market as quickly and as clean as possible, having a really, really high touch, you know, professional layer of support. We have a phone number on our website. People can call us if they want to. Um, and we always stand behind our, our, our product. Uh, it doesn't work 100% of the time. I don't think anyone's does 100% of the time. Not Coinbase, not Kraken, not Binance. Everyone's got their problems. But whenever there is a problem, we're right there holding our users' hands to ensure they get a great service and a great experience. And that's how we want to be different. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting to watch how this is playing out with uh, regulation, for sure. Uh, here, here in the U.S., uh, the SEC uh, chair recently mm-hmm. spoke, and he actually uh, knows a lot about crypto. And Which is a really good thing. Yeah, you need some educated people you know, having those conversations instead of like the... Um, what was the what was the cringy one last year? It was the Zuckerberg WhatsApp in um in the uh in the in the commerce? That was just the most cringy thing I've ever watched. Like if I send this text, I'll get a ad. No, it doesn't work that way. But the guy yeah. that is doing the SEC chair, now he definitely knows what he's talking about. I think it's a good thing to have a more educated conversation at that level, which is good. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how it plays out because uh, the, he he seemed to be um 
open to the idea that Bitcoin may, you know, be a commodity. It may not be a security. And, and, you know, all these other tokens may, may be a security because exactly, you know, there's yeah. a team behind them. And, you know, P, like by, by definition, if there's a team behind them and you're investing in that yeah. team, it's a security. So after listening to him, it really kind of made mm -hmm. me more bullish on Bitcoin and not so much altcoins, to be honest. So I, I kind of diver diversified a little bit away from, from altcoins after listening. That so, makes you know, sense. But, yeah. I, I, over time, I'm getting a little bit more heavier on Bitcoin. And I think this is probably the thing that I like the most. I think that I've that I've learned about the not just the ecosystem, but the people that want to join the ecosystem. They want they start up wanting to learn about Bitcoin because it's brand new, and what they end up coming out with it is this whole other perspective on money. You know, the education between money and currency and commodities, and how the existing banking system works. And a lot of people are horrified. They just didn't know that this kind of you know robbery was happening. You know, literally in plain sight. And Bitcoin levels the playing field. And I like that you say, you know, could it be a commodity or a, um, you know, like a, a reserve currency or something like that? I think it really can be. You know, it's one of those things that's not behind a government, it's not behind a central bank, it's completely transparent. All the miners are there, all the data is there. You know, the on chain analytic data that comes out of the on chain is redonkulous. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of really good, clean, um, efficient data that comes out of that that usually sometimes predicts price. Uh, or can show a lot of bullish traffic happening. You know, when the OTC desks wake up in the morning, you can see them moving stuff in and out of the hot wallets, and you see what kind of day it's going to be. And no other asset class, no other market in, in the in the world can do that. And I think the more connections that we have into Bitcoin, so you know, US dollar, Euro, pound, whatever, uh, central bank currencies, which we might talk about a little later as well. But then you start putting like oil contracts, gold contracts, wheat orange juice, all that stuff that are usually settled in US dollars anyway, which is a big problem right now with the amount of dollars they've been printing in the last 12 months. You make that reserve currency something like Bitcoin, which yeah, over time the volatility will, you know, it'll, it'll level out eventually. But when it's not controlled by a central party, that makes it a very, very good reserve currency. That's what I uh, tell people that, you know, difference with Bitcoin is it's already doing what it's supposed to do. It's uh super decentralized unstoppable it's made to be the the base layer for our new new financial yeah. system and yeah I, I love it so do you, do you personally uh, hold bitcoin and and what do you see it as a good investment so i do hold bitcoin definitely um i can't give any financial advice ever so i always put the hashtag not financial advice not, not financial advice. Uh, is it a good investment i think at the moment where we are in the world where we are in cycles I think if people don't have some exposure to Bitcoin, I think that's a risk. So whether it's a half a percent of your portfolio or one percent of your portfolio, or maybe you don't have a portfolio at all, um, it's worth looking into to have some exposure to. It depends how deep you want to go. Uh, is it new? Yes. Is it volatile? Yes. But I believe it's a gateway to, you know, we're investing in an emerging market as well as an emerging technology, and it's still brand new. And what I see from the space on a technological side, you know, as soon as we you know, really nail down, you know, on the security side, what a token and a tokenization can do, that's where the hockey stick will take off. You know, that's where the concept mm -hmm. of, you know, proper, not just fractionalized shares, which is just a derivative product, but proper, you know, um, token fractionalization of your local coffee shop of your house of uh, you know, an nft could be a motorcycle that you sell that's got its entire history attached to it that level of tech tied into you know real world um that's where the hockey stick will come from and it's going to take time there is going to be regs it's going to have to happen 
But when that does happen, it doesn't really matter what blockchain we sit on. The fact that the value is transmittable um, and self-sovereign, I think that's the most important thing. And that's what Bitcoin is kind of given to everybody. Do you see uh, in the future, do you see um, a future where a lot of these use cases that you, that you mentioned are done on top of Bitcoin on a layer two and, and that's the preferred uh, preferred method or do you see them do you see cross chain as being a, a helpful way of going about it in terms of other altcoins fulfilling use cases such as you know DeFi and, and NFTs and whatnot? So I definitely it depends. And a friend of mine has his default answer for absolutely everything. Yes, Kevin, I'm talking about you. Um, it it kind of depends on, on what the use case is. I think when it comes to something around um, storing any kind of value um, or backing any kind of currency, like the whole CDBC thing and the whole uh, El Salvador thing. Um, I think the potentially to, to, to backstop, um, you know, real value and actually you know, in a deflationary way um, can be a really good thing. But then when you're trying to build, you know, a smart contract on top of this and cross chain this and lock the value here, it becomes too complicated for the regular user to understand, let alone the product it's supposed to be backing. So I think we'll have, you know, there'll still be thousands of different chains out there for different things. There will be the go-to for government, for enterprise, for payments, for whatever. Um, and we'll have the same kind of wars we have now. It's Visa versus MasterCard versus this versus Neobanks. They all work pretty much on the same rails, but they are all completely different companies, completely different products. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we'll see the same thing with crypto, but I think because we're starting off in a highly technical state is that there's more chance for those those chains to be cross you know um, uh, cross datering etc in the future so um, I don't think they'll all be on Bitcoin I think some of them will tie in with it or reference a specific cold wallet that holds X amount in there and that's your that's your network value but you still get all your layer twos or your other DeFi things etc or wrapping which we've seen quite popular in the DeFi space as well it's, it's interesting to see this all playing out because you know this is a brand new piece of tech, you know, many, many use cases uh, being done on this technology. And it's, it's interesting to see how it's going to play out because, you know, it's kind of the wild west. It's like a big, I say Ethereum's kind of like a test net, you know, all these yeah. use cases are being tested out and, you know, eventually, you know, things are being added to Bitcoin layer two, like, you know, stacks and yeah. lightning network. And so it's really, it's really cool to see how it's all, all going to play out. You know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, only Bitcoin, everything will be done on Bitcoin. Everything else is a scam, you know, the, the, the maximalists and, and then you have the people who are, you know, even anti-Bitcoin and pro Ethereum. So what, what, what do you, what's your take on, on those type of people? You think, you think, uh, maximal, Bitcoin maximalism is good for the movement or do you think it's, uh, it's toxic and those people need to chill out? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's completely toxic and people need to take a chill. I mean, there's, um, you know, if you don't like coin, or don't like a movie then just don't go see that movie you know there's no reason to have this yeah. tribalism about it um we are an exceptionally small group on the absolute bleeding edge um of you know new financial tech you know there's only 100 million users in the entire world even looking at this stuff i mean all i see in the news every day is crypto because that's my my niche that's where i sit you know i've, I've gone the news you know from sitting in front of the tv and it happens to be on i don't really watch mass media that much um, and when I, 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 I don't hear about it, it's like, what, is, what are these people missing? You know, we are still such an exceptionally tiny group and the whole maximalist toxic culture doesn't really happen. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't help anyone bring anyone in. Um, crypto still, you know, to this day, 12 years on, it has an image problem. 
um, and it's not going to bring in the bigger money to fill everyone's bags to go to the moon. It's not going to encourage the new money to come in that think they can't afford a Bitcoin because they don't understand it goes down to eight decimal places or Ethereum goes down to 18 decimal places. No idea why they did that. But that's how they end up in the proper, proper shit tokens. They end up in, in, the, in, the, in the safe moon and the whatever the rocket one and the Shiba Inu stuff. And, you know, the reason Doge came around was to make it fun and that you could have billions of the things to send around and actually learn about wallets. And it achieved that really well, but then some people took it too seriously and now we have Elon shooting off every other week. So I don't have a problem with Doge specifically because it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a joke, but now it's kind of gotten a bit out of hand. But when we have this, you know, tribalism, it's not encouraging anyone new to come into the space because they come in, they put in 500 bucks and then tomorrow it's gone because they weren't educated enough. And there's still this people are hoarding knowledge and creating way too much noise that needs to be there. We need to be an open, welcoming community an open welcoming you know emerging asset class to get more people here because that's what the network needs it needs more people yeah i agree we definitely need to be welcoming we definitely need to uh, all get along and uh you know i i do think the maximalists you know cyber hornets whatever you want to call them they do have a point <laughs> they do have a point in terms that you know bitcoin yeah. is superior base layer money uh and it does have huge potential for the future so i do understand you know why they're big proponents but at the same time they, they do have to be welcoming yeah there's there's being passionate about something and then there's just being kind of blind to any other argument and i like this because we can have a really educated discussion we don't have to punch each other in the face at the end of it you know and have that toxicity there we can talk you know I've heard some really, really intelligent people. Um, some of, a lot of it goes over my head when we start talking about the dev side of it. But you know, some of the stuff, um, you know, Ethereum v Polkadot v Cardano, really smart guys with some really visionary ideas and how they conflict. But they're talking about you know solving issues and pros and cons on a theoretical level and having an educated debate, and that fills the room with smart people. And the only way you get smarter, what you do, you go to a room with people smarter than you. And in crypto, there are all smart people in crypto. So why do we have to be so negative about our beliefs and about our passions? Um, you know, it's, that Formula One, if you like Vettel and that person likes Lewis Hamilton, no one's going toxic over it and punching each other. They're there to watch a race and enjoy it because it's a community event. You know, we should all be more about pushing it forward rather than holding each other back. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, there are a lot of smart people in the space and a lot of them are, you know, developing on other chains. And, you know, we want those people, you know, in the, in the community, we don't want to, we don't want to shut them out. So, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. So, but yeah, moving on, do you think, uh, do you think the bull run is, is over? Or you think we're, we're, um, still on the, on the way up? Uh, but where do you, you think we're on a super cycle as, as Dan Hill would say? It depends. Uh, it depends how far it's zoomed in or out. You go. I mean, I was talking with a, one of my clients yesterday, uh, and it's like, oh, we saw a crash today. And I said, dude, it's 400 bucks. Just like, kind of calm it, calm it down a little bit. You look at the yeah, last 10 days. Um, are we still in a bull run? I, I like to think we're in a bit of a sideways movement now. I, I knew we would get to about 60k this year. I don't think anyone expected it to happen in April. Um, that was just kind of pure mm -hmm. madness. You know, a lot of my long my trading pot, not my accumulation hodl pot. I mean, I closed most of my longs around the 50K mark, which probably makes me look like a wuss. But I thought we'd get to the 60K mark maybe now, you know, July time. And I think that would have been a much, it still would have been pretty aggressive looking on the chart, but I don't think we would have pulled back as much. And 
you know, same as before, the education of, oh, I, you know, spot trading is boring and you need leverage in order to make money. That's for a lot of the cheap money that went into the market saying, I need 10, 15, 50x in order to, to make my returns. Um, all of the, you know, 50% of that leverage disappeared in like four days when we saw that huge, yeah. you know, it was like three and a half, it was like what, like a 9,000 pound candle, dollar candle in, in like a day or two. Uh, and it really hurt the market. Hurt its image. A lot of people lost some money. People tried to recoup by doubling down. Try to buy, try to catch the knife on the way down, as I call it, or diverse into you know even more volatile um, uh, shit tokens. So um, that period of going really really high, really really quick. Um, a lot of with you know all the alternate dojas coming out. Um, kind of did nothing. It kind of you know, we tried try to prop the bubble up by by putting more stuff into it. Um, if we went up a bit slower and a bit more trendy, uh, I think we would still be, you know, in, in peak bull run. Um, we've had a pullback now and we're a little bit sideways. I don't think the bull run's over. I think we're just kind of pumping the brakes a little bit and taking some time. There's still plenty of money in the space moving around and we can see that on chain. Um, our business has been busy, busier than ever, uh, both on ramping and off ramping. Um, and that's not even the trading side. So, I still think there's a lot of interest there. I think the people that were here in 2019 and 2020 um, are, uh, are still accumulating. And I think if we get to a, a nice solid support and, um, you know, we get rid of the China FUD and, you know, someone deletes Elon's account um, <laughs> and we get a, a nice support that doesn't get broken again, then I think we can resume a bull run. But I think it's going to be a bit more of a safer one next time. I think it's going to be a bit more gradual and not as aggressive. I would agree with you on that. My, my thinking is that over time, uh, the volatility will decrease as the market matures and more uh, more money enters the market. And uh, and yeah, I think I think we'll have a, another bull run. I mean, if you zoom out, you know, it's going to go up in yeah. the long run. You know, people are complaining about the drop, but it but it's still up. Uh, you know, three four x. I saw a report from. I think it was JP Morgan. It wasn't Goldman. No, it was a JP Morgan report. And they're saying basically that the volatility of the crypto market as a whole, not just Bitcoin, has actually been decreasing by, you know, 15 to 20 percent since 2017 over certain cyclic runs. And that's where they're showing more interest now is that, well, we used to be insane volatility here at the 20K mark. Uh, and then we were at kind of medium volatility. And now we're actually tapering off again. And they're seeing that as a decreasing trend. So the more money that comes in the market, you know, the more connections we make into newer markets um, and we get a bit more regulation certainty there as well. Um, they're seeing that as a, as a key indicator, a key time to enter the market, which is why there's, you know, um, these big bank uh, innovation teams that are now you know, hunting for either startups or, or hunting for tech that they can implement to their platforms. Um, JP Morgan have announced they're going to upgrade their um uh proof of concept um innovation from um 20 pocs a year to 75 pocs a year and these could be anything from card payments to trading to crypto to token to custody it could be any sort of tech they will you know increase their r d spend to work with more startups to see you know, what's out there what they can bring into any number of the hundreds of businesses that jp morgan is involved in so they are looking hard for good tech, they are looking hard on how they can leverage it, you know, even more than their own quorum project. So uh, the more the volatility decreases, the more certainty there is. It's 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 going to be an absolute flood um, when the first big player comes in. I agree. Do you think uh, 
dollar cost averaging into the market is the best strategy in terms of investing or do you do you what, what do you personally do? do you buy on red days and that's about it or do you try to time it or so yeah i think it definitely depends on what sort of person you are there are some people that are a bit more active with their money that's their hobby that's their passion um they you know they know what their risk is you know they're very you know money conscious etc mm -hmm. they have a good relationship with money and they may go for red days or you know three down bars I'll buy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, myself, I'm a bit more of a traditional investor, if that is even still a word. Um, so dollar cost average to me is pretty similar, just putting money into your 401k in the US or your, your SIP pension uh, over here in the UK. Um, and you're accumulating over a long period of time. Now, and obviously in stock investing, you might be aiming for yield, you may be aiming for accumulation, you may be looking for, you know, for dividend payouts, et cetera. Um, and I treat kind of Bitcoin no differently is that, you know, I'm accumulating now to offset larger taxes in the future because we have capital gains and et cetera, et cetera. But if we, Bitcoin gets to a point where it's in six figures and et cetera, and then I can either generate a yield from it or I can pull loans out against it, then I never have to worry about the capital gain side of it. You know, if I, if my intention is to continue to accumulate daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera, um, I'm not really worried about the future capital gains and um, um, implications because I'm going to be doing more stuff with my crypto um, at, at later mm -hmm. points in the market. So I think dollar cost averaging is a safe urbit to keep the stress out. So you're not looking at charts every day. You just have a, a standing order that fires off in your bank account every day or you know once a week. Um, irons out your volatility. You catch the majority of the dips. You know you're not going to get one on the intraday or on the hourly chart. Um, but, uh, I've seen even some really, really big whales do exactly the same thing. We've got, uh, one guy, he's an expat, but he, he, he lives in, on the other side of the world, but he, all of his finances here in the UK and he's dollar cost averaging five grand a month. You know, that's his strategy because yeah. he's been doing it for like 30 years and his ice and his sip and all these other kind of ways in a tax effective way. It's just very natural to accumulate in that sort of way. So I recommend it to new users. Uh, then if you want to get a bit more involved, you can look at trading and buying dips and et cetera. And then with any profits you can shave off, you can then go and kind of dabble and play in other stuff that interests you, whether it's DeFi, Ethereum, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just don't go, uh, don't go beyond the top 20 unless you really want to experience the, um, the wild ride is what I say. Stay within the top 20 if you want to look at those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely the stress-free way of going about it. Yeah, it's, you, don't, you don't really want to look like you're 50 when you're 22. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I think Bitcoin has effectively been uh, de-risked uh, as of recently. I mean, the risk is super small in my opinion. I don't think it's going anywhere. So it's a good uh, it's a good good sure thing to to dollar cost well, I think, average. I think it's a good point with risk. I think there's inherently risk with everything. Um, no there matter is, if yeah. you're you know leaving your money savings in the bank, that's a risk at the moment. It's about four percent. So it's a four percent risk just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, and it's not that secure considering how much a bank will Losing leverage your money. Value. They'll leverage it nine to one um, more than you can get on some trading platforms. So, you know, the risk is you get left behind. The risk is you lose opportunity. Uh, and the risk is you weren't going to do anything, well, anything with that money in the first place. So you may as well do something active with it. Being in the market is easier than trying to time the market. Oh, I'll wait for the next dip. Oh, now it's 40 grand. I'm, I'm, I'm out, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's true kind of everything. There's risk going out on the bus you know, going to work. Mm -hmm. So you have to just weigh it up. And um, yeah, I encourage everyone to just take it, uh, take it slow. We're still early. Uh, if you're going to do it for the next five years, just take your time and learn.
watch watch podcasts like this and learn. I agree. Uh, definitely keep learning and uh, gain conviction, and that way you're not uh, paper handed, right? Selling at the at the bottom. So, do you think uh, more companies are going to start uh, investing and converting their fiat reserves into Bitcoin, and basically following suit of big companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy, who purchased a billion dollars worth? Do you think there's going to be a lot more bigger money funneling in soon? And who, if so, who do you see? What kind of companies do you see coming into the? Uh, the, the network next and purchasing Bitcoin. Yeah, I think I think they have to at this stage. I think um, you know everyone thought Michael Saylor was absolutely nuts when he was still buying at like the forty and fifty k levels, and you know it's very easy to poke fun at him on the headlines now. Now that we're down at the forty k mark, but you know he was raising debt like no one's tomorrow, and everyone was buying in on it because that's their you know that was like Wall Street's hedge is that they can have Bitcoin exposure with a paper instrument. Uh, without having to do any of the custody and stuff. And if this guy fails, then guess what? There's still a hell of a lot of assets backing up these bonds. So it was actually like a dream deal for them. And I think if he went out now and asked for like another 100 million, he'd get it easily. Um, and I'd, I'd never heard of micro strategy before it came out the headlines that these guys are buying up in, in massive droves. And they did it with public order books. They didn't use OTC desks. That was the mental bit. I went, that's cool. Not only is that cool, that's completely yeah. gangster. They did it in front of everyone's eyes and no one saw it, which I, I think is awesome. But for other companies, it's definitely the cash-rich ones. So if you want to, you know, who are the ones that hold the most cash? You know, Facebook and Apple. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Zuck's a techno freak like the rest of us. Um, they're sitting on more cash than Greece. Um, if they wanted to do anything with their stable token and really get it off the ground and put, you know, quids in and really be involved, I think it makes perfect sense for them to start accumulating. If they're not accumulating now, um, I'd be surprised. I think they have to be doing something in the background, maybe just so Zuck can stick it to the, the Winklebrost brothers again. Um, but, uh, you know, Apple's play is that, you know, they've always been late to the show with some of their tech adoption, which is why I say an iPhone is like a three-year-old Android. Um is that you know they they came up with their own uh, you know, the payment wallets and all the NFC stuff and then they're doing their payments card. I don't they have they don't have them in the UK, but they have the Apple card in the US, right? Um, and the you know yeah, the next evolution of that card and doing payments and cross border and, and keeping it smart and clean and all that kind of stuff is going to be some sort of asset backed one or some sort of crypto one. So it makes sense for them to have either their own token um, or if they want to make it you know really feasible and give it value, they'll back it with something like like crypto or Bitcoin. Um, it's in scarcity, it's going up, it's got a 12 year track record. So why wouldn't they, you know, even if it was just an experiment for them, uh, they've got more cash to burn. They're a you know, trillion dollar company. Um, it's going to do absolutely no harm for them to put a couple of million on their balance sheet and to, uh, and to start off. But it's just when it becomes public, I think that's when the snow starts rolling down the hill and becomes a snowball. So I think it'd be one of the big yeah, ones. Definitely. It could be another random unknown tech company we don't know about. Um, but I don't see like a hedge funder or an asset manager breaking news by the saying they're holding Bitcoin because they're just going to be investing into businesses. I think it's going to be one of those big those big players that announce it next, like another Tesla or another Fang, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really exciting to see how it's going to play out. My Michael Saylor explains it really well. You know, there's all these corporations who have tons and tons of fiat reserves just just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, and, and it's really losing trading, value. Yeah. And I think one of those, like um, Starbucks, for instance, everyone 
blows their mind when they realize they're more of a trading company than a coffee company. If they have so much data of what, when money goes in, when they have to deliver coffee, they can just control the coffee futures market. They made more money off trading last year than they did off selling coffee. They're a tech company that mm. trades now, and they just have heaps and heaps of futures data that no one else has um, and don't pay much tax on it, which is, you know, it's maybe, maybe Starbucks. Who knows? Do you think the uh, Lightning Network is going to be more widely adopted in the future? And do you think it's going to allow Bitcoin to not only be a store of value, but a medium of exchange and just be be adopted in more more places? So I think it has the ability to. I'm definitely not a um, a, uh, Lightning Network expert. I mean, I understand the premise of it. I still think the execution of it and how it's explained um, it's still far too technical for, for any normal person to understand the whole opening channels, closing channels, invoicing, etc. I think people can get it, but they'll spend and waste a lot of money trying it and not really fully understanding it. Um, how they want to try and execute it in uh, El Salvador, for instance, I think is a, a, is a little bit scary because it's still quite centralized. Um, but I think... For the ones that want to make it work, I think we get that really, really crisp UI, um, the ability to you know, have your private key as a retina or as a fingerprint or something like that. That's just user experience. And I think if we can wrap it a bit better and you know, get the, um, you know, the completion rate and the error correction and all that kind of stuff uh, much, much, much higher, uh, then I think it does have a real chance you know, for those, you know, as we call them, unbanked. It's one of the use cases for, for nearly everything, I suppose. Um, for those ones to truly be able to earn, get those donations, get paid, all of those kind of things, it does it does just work. But it, it still needs uh, a long way to go for it to be um, you know widely adopted and widely used. I think, and at the moment, people just want to buy and hold Bitcoin for the most part. So I think if a if a, a specific payment token is backed by Bitcoin, I think that gives this payment one a lot more utility uh, and a lot more adoption. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's really exciting because uh, the Lightning Network is uh, really being developed and a lot of innovations being done uh, on the Lightning Network. There's a wallet that I checked out the other day called Moon Wallet, M-U-U-N, mm-hmm. and it, it makes it super, super easy. You download an app and there's no intermediary. There's no, uh, you have custody of your funds the entire time and it's all seamless. And like like you were saying, it, it used to be kind of difficult with opening a channel and understanding how that all works, but it makes it uh, literally, you know, click of a button, you click send and receive, and it's super, super easy. So oh, I'm really uh, bullish on a Lightning Network uh, myself. <laughs> Very cool. No, it's been a purchase experience. Um, I kind of stick to the, the sort of the basic ones. We have really talented developers in our team. Uh, they tell me what I need to know, and then I kind of doze off with the rest of it. But um, no, I haven't experimented with enough of it, but there's a couple of guys, uh, uh, good friends of mine, that are, that are wailing about it all the time. So uh, I'll give the moon wall and have a look. Uh, what's going on in El Salvador as well? You mentioned that uh, they're making it uh, legal tender there, and it's really cool to see. You know, I go online, I see videos of you know people going to a grocery store and uh, scanning their phone and buying their groceries and having instant and fee-free uh, transactions. Do you think uh, you think more countries are going to be adopting uh, a Bitcoin uh, standard, so to say, and using the Lightning Network to uh, to use transactions like that? You think there's going to be other smaller countries or bigger countries that go go on both? So- yeah, I definitely think there will be. I mean, it's kind of more of a matter of when instead of if now. Um, I think we've all, 
uh, wanted that to happen for a long time. I think there's been a lot of experimentation with it, you know, even with the whole Bitcoin Cash side of it, with you know, Nano and some of the other ones that have tried to do the whole payments level on a, on, on a different way. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, El Salvador's really come out of the blocks, you know, trying to you know, really push this forward. And I think if they get it right, uh, you know, and I want to really impress on them, get it right, make it work without any corruption, without keys missing, without all that kind of stuff that, you know, oh, is yeah. it just going to go tits up and, and crypto goes missing? It has every ability for it to go really, really right and be really successful. And it will literally, you know, they'll be first. Um, if you watch the movie Margin Call, you can either, uh, you, you, be, you can be smart, you can cheat, or you can be first. You know, it's far easier to be first. And El Salvador is doing that. Uh, it looks like Paraguay is going to follow their follow their lead, uh, get on it as well. So now you might have two countries in Latin America uh, on the same standard, which is a really really exciting concept when you start to have multiple countries on, you know, on a Bitcoin backing as well as a Lightning Network potential as well. So these you know cross border payments between these countries now just got you know it just, not even the 21st century anymore. They're ahead of some, you know, first world countries in terms of their payments and remittances. So um, I really want it to work. I really want it to go well. I really hope they don't cock it up. I really hope it doesn't result in a whole lot of lost funds and even any other more poverty or any other wars and stuff that goes on. I really want it to have every single success that it, that it has um, potential for. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, you know, you mentioned El Salvador and there being some centralization issues and hopefully, uh, you know, you're able to onboard. Uh, the, the thing is, is you have to onboard people in a easy to, uh, to, in an easy manner. And a lot of times centralization helps with that. So hopefully we can ha- have a little centralization and get you on board and then learn how to, you know, self custody, do it yeah, yourself. If there's a way to, to you know, migrate funds later or migrate wallets later or something like that, which I'm sure is, is completely doable. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was just one article I read about it, about the, the company that was either building the solution and the way they were um, using a, a, either a fork of it or the way that it was implemented, the way they're doing the custody of it. Uh, it seemed more centralized than it than it um, was supposed to be. So, um, you know, it's stepping stones, right? They get it right. It does really well. Um, you know, a lot of people have smartphones now, which is great. There are like, what, three smartphones for every person on earth. So hopefully there is enough out there to get it done right. And, um, yeah, you know, let, let, let's hope that there's a, a bright future there and it doesn't just kind of fall and collapse because that could be one of the things that it's not going to be crypto's downfall. I think crypto is going to be here a long time. It just depends on how fast we get there or how slow we get there. Yeah. Yeah. So do you see a future where, you know, Bitcoin's kind of coming in as a gold 2.0 narrative, a superior store value to gold? Do you see a future where Bitcoin not only becomes a store value, but becomes um, a money and and in a way competes with uh, fiat money? And do you you think fiat money and Bitcoin is going to coexist? Or do you think eventually, you know, fiat money will, will all inevitably be, become hyperinflated by corruption and uh, the only incorruptible money bitcoin uh, remains or or how do you see that playing out with in terms well, of uh well, governments and fiat and- we just need to look at uh we just need to look at history you know there's been 600 yep. fiat currencies uh and you know 98 percent of them failed and the only ones that haven't failed are still going and that's the us dollar the pound uh, and the euro uh average fiat currency lasts somewhere between 60 and 70 years uh the what is it us dollar in its current form is what 60 years old uh pound in its current format is 300 years old uh both of them have lost 99.9 percent of their value over those time periods as well so the us is 
yeah. just like like floating at the moment. They want to remove the debt ceiling and just print their way to the moon. I mean, they're going to make what a pyramid of one dollar notes and walk to the moon at this stage. Yep. It's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin versus fiat. Fiat will. It may not die, but it will be replaced with a cashless format. Um, that cashless format will be some sort of tokenized, you know, CDBC or, or whatever it's called. I really, I, 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 if they actually go through and call it Bitcoin, I may have to leave Britain because that's just embarrassing. <laughs> call it like DGVP or something like that, or call it crypto GVP or just anything but Bitcoin because it sounds like an ICO from 2016. Um, <laughs> I think fiat, as we know, it will be replaced with a better digital variant. Um, mm. Will it curb, you know, money laundering and etc.? Maybe, maybe not. Will it curb cash and hand sales? No, because if we can still do wallet to wallet transfers, that's still cash in hand. It's just not linked to a sale or an invoice. Um, will it, uh, you know, keep uh, the government politicians in check? I believe it will, because I think right now what they don't know is how many of these pounds are actually in existence. How many U.S. dollars are actually in, in existence? And the problem with the banking the system supply is, is not auditable. It's not audible. Yeah. yeah, you've got a serial number, but how many of them are destroyed and how many of them are not? You've got the digital copy, which is in the banking system, which can be leveraged at ten to one per bank. So you actually don't know how many you know number digital ones there are versus the ones you're mm -hmm. printing every year. You're like, well, we need to print this many of them because we're assuming 20% get lost and burn and damage, and we're assuming this many come back. So we need to make up the difference. Oh, and we're going to print an extra three trillion this year as well. So they kind of don't even have an idea within the digital copy and the and the physical format which is the which is the source of truth. Um, and with banks able to do this freely, however they like, and charge people over, charge people fees on overdrafts for money they don't have. That's just wacky to back. Yeah. Um, all of those kind of issues go away when you use some sort of tokenized digital version. So um, I think it will clean up a lot of things. I think it's going to be a very difficult path to do a full conversion, and it's going to be one of those kind of five, ten-year kind of plans. But I think Bitcoin will complement all of those. You know, um, if they want to take a you know a large stash of Bitcoin to prop it up and actually make it worth something, like the gold standard we used to have. Um, it can be something like that. Uh, we're obviously going to have um, CDBC pairs or central bank pairs um, for multiple currencies, and whoever wants to you know, create those liquidity pools, uh, more connections into Bitcoin makes Bitcoin a, you know, a reserve currency. Um, but it might be the Chinese that beat everyone to it. They've been experimenting with their digital one now for like, what, seven years? Um, they've got integrations into WeChat, and WeChat's used for nearly everything in China. So they've got the best head start from everyone. Um, Sweden ain't that far behind. Sweden is like what 85% digital payments, and uh, parts of Europe are all you know. There are some people that will shop on certain websites because it supports their um, chosen digital wallet. You know, it may be like Adver AdPay or Pandora or whatever it's going to be, um, but they'll use those payment wallet apps over traditional banking or traditional cards because they're just better. So I think it's going to be um, a tokenization play. There's going to be lots of connections, but again, it's going to be down to UI experience. Who has the best experience to deliver, you know, this you know new solution for money? But uh, ultimately, I think fiat will die as we know it. It'll be replaced with something better, but we kind of won't know it's replaced if we, if, you know, if you believe the media headline kind of stuff. 
like you were saying, the amount of printing, you know, that's going on worldwide is pretty insane. And, you yeah. know, in the U.S., the, uh, the M2 money supply has gone up uh, 35, 40% in the last year. Just the year. So it's, I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And I, I'm, yeah. I don't pretend to be an economist. I mean, I'm very basic when it comes to those kind of things. But you, you only need to stand back and have a look at the last 10 years. I mean, anyone who's, you know, uh, got any money in their pocket or their bank account. You can remember what something was worth 10 years ago. I can remember when I used to go down to the shops when I was a kid and I got given a dollar, one dollar, and I could buy a bottle of Coke and a bag of chips. And I could walk home and grab a yep. and have that. You can't even get like the small little value pack thing that comes with like a sandwich for a pound anymore. Uh, bottle of yeah, Coke and, is, and prices should be going down because of technological innovation and what technological right? innovation, so. all that kind of stuff. You know, there's still potatoes. We're, we're yeah. making a lot of potatoes, but you know, the size of it goes down. So you've got a buying power decrease and you've got, um, you know, the cost of goods and services and everything that goes up with inflation. This, this magical thing that happens in the background that's not real. And it's all down to the kind of money printing and leverage and debt. Mm. So it's, I think it's a, it'll be like one of those, you know, the big reset, which isn't going to be like a debt bubble. It'll be a technological bubble. But um, I think in our lifetimes, it'll be interesting to see it and I've lived through it. And our kids are going to be like, really? You used to like give money to each other by hand? Like that? that's that's like, like unheard of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, with the CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, you know, that they're still going to be centrally controlled, able to be inflated to, to no end. Uh, and they're also able to be, you know, sur surveillance surveyed even more than, you know, cash. Does that uh, concern you at all? Are you concerned about CBDCs, you know, allowing for too much uh, government control so, in the future? Yeah, I think it's one of those, it depends ones. And then I think because we're so, it's such a, you know, it's kind of DeFi, it's such a new concept that's been experimented with. Um, mm. you say, yes, they're going to, are, are they going to be a hundred percent centralized? Well, they don't have to be, you know, if every single central bank is dealing with each other's currencies, then really that is a decentralized system and who's holding the key to, you know, change the code and, and upgrade it and et cetera. It's going to be completely visible to anyone who can read a smart contract. So by them printing more, we're going to know about it. It's not going to be this, oh, there's a report that was released. And it's in the back archive of some website that you don't even know how to navigate. You'll be able to look at the smart contract and see what's, what's it, what the active supply is. Um, and we're going to see how that's provable and what wallets are holding what. Um, is there a surveillance aspect to it? Yes, I think there will be. But um, to what end and what level it goes down to? As long as they don't start tracking stuff on a basket level, like I spend £14.20 at the shop, um, they just see a transaction. You know that might be fine but as soon as they can see the items that i bought in my cart that's where you have a problem um and i think which agencies have access to those kind of keys so it might be like say a permissioned style blockchain so you know um low level key they can see a wallet address randomized and they can see what's in it uh, a layer two key may have some sort of basic level access to a you know a kyc data or a tag saying it's a male that lives in london or something like that then you kind of go up the up the chain and only you know your um uh police that have you know proper warrants are going to be able to see the full the full scale of what's in there so i'm all for protecting people um i'm all for you know digital privacy definitely um but i think what's the 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 bigger opportunity with cdbc's is to kind of eliminate money laundering risk and to eliminate the potential abuse 
of um, banking system inflation. And I think that's kind of what they're aiming for. It's all of the other things straight away. As, oh, but it can be used in a nefarious way. I'm like, yeah, so can everything. Every, you, know, you can use a photo frame yep. to kill someone over the head if you really tried hard enough. So there's always going to be yep. a to and fro, but I think they need to focus on the positive stuff first and then plan to mitigate the other ideas as they kind of crop up. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully uh, CBDCs aren't too you know centralized and corrupt. Yeah, as long as history doesn't repeat itself, then yeah, I, I agree. It's, as, uh, we can only hope it doesn't go that way, but we won't know until one of them finally launched and we actually see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, to to close out here, um, you know, you and I are both big proponents of Bitcoin. What, what do you recommend others do in order to, you know, help support the network, help support the growth, and kind of teach people and get the word out? What what are some re recommendations you got for talk them, about for Bitcoin to everyone, even if they think you're crazy, uh, especially over Thanksgiving <laughs> and holidays? Um, no, I think it's. <laughs> always bring positivity to it. I think everyone needs to do that in every aspect of their life. It doesn't matter how stressed you are and what else is going on. It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. And I think that's the same with, with crypto and Bitcoin. It's not all bad. It's not all memes. Um, there is a serious side to it. There are some really smart people playing with this stuff. And it's almost a little bit of a lightning rod for educating yourself. Um, I didn't know anything about economics when I started into Bitcoin. I didn't know the difference between mm -hmm. money and currency. Uh, when I started a Bitcoin and I'd been working, what, 15 years of my life through casinos, data centers, hedge funds, etc., And I still didn't know the You took the orange pill. Yeah, the orange pill, <laughs> exactly. Same thing. And, um, you know, it really changed my life in terms of my relationship to money. And I think that's where a lot of people can get a lot of positivity out of it. Because now I tend to spend less and invest more, uh, not save. We don't save. Uh, is all of that into crypto? No, not all of it's into crypto. Uh, some of that goes into personal development, so educating myself. Some of that goes into, you know, proper outdoor time, you know, actually seeing parts of the world or parts of London I haven't seen before, going for a meal. That stuff is important because you're investing in not just, you know, something monetary, you're investing in, in yourself, which I think is super important yeah. and, and is underrated a lot. Um, it can be the difference between a 40 and gym membership and not. Some people are really happy to buy a round of drinks, but they're not really capable of looking after themselves month to month. So it's taught me more things about myself and more things about finance than I ever thought it could because it put me in a room with people that are way smarter than me. And that's what I think crypto can do for literally anyone willing to listen. Where can people uh, find more about you and, and your company, Coin CoinPass? Yeah, sure. So obviously very, very, very simple, coinpass.com. Um, didn't want to settle with a .co.uk domain. So we're uh, yeah, coinpass.com. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Jeff underscore coinpass, or just look us, uh, look us up on uh, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, always happy to reach out, have a convo, chat, tweet, whatever you guys are doing. Uh, always keen to reach out and meet new people wherever they are in the world. I'll put a link to your Twitter and your website down below. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Jeff.